And uh, you might find it useful to turn in your Bibles to uh, one of the readings that David read for us earlier, uh, Matthew chapter 27, page 998, uh, in the Church Bibles, 998 is the page number, Matthew chapter 27, verses uh, 11 uh, to 26. As Andrew said, we're looking through these uh, chapters 26 and 27 as we head into Easter. So Matthew uh, chapter 27, page 998. And then as we find that, let me pray for us. Our loving Heavenly Father, we've been singing and now we pray it that you would take our lives, that you would transform and renew us as we consider uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would change us and that we, in response to all that he has done for us, may live lives which are a living sacrifice to you. May we make a difference as we go from here. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. A young police officer was taking his final exam at Hendon Police Training College in London. One of the questions read as follows. You're on patrol in the suburbs of London where an explosion occurs in a gas main on a nearby street. On investigation, you find that a large hole has been blown in the footpath and there's an overturned van lying nearby. Inside the van, there's a strong smell of alcohol. Both occupants, a man and a woman, are injured. You recognise the woman as the wife of your divisional inspector who is at present on leave in the USA. A passing motorist stops to offer you assistance and you realise that he's a man who's wanted for armed robbery. Suddenly, a man runs out of a nearby house shouting that his wife is expecting a baby and the shock of the explosion has made the birth imminent. Another man is crying for help, having been blown into an adjacent uh, canal by by the explosion, and he cannot swim. Bearing in mind the provision of the Mental Health Act, describe describe in a few words what actions you would take. Apparently the officer thought for a while, picked up his pen and wrote, I would take off my uniform and mingle with the crowd. Well, mingling with the crowd, um, going with the flow, it's always uh, the easy option. uh, It's certainly the easy answer. And um, it is uh, especially an easy option and an easy answer when it comes to following Jesus Christ. Swimming swimming against the tide is tough. We'll always feel lonely and vulnerable if we stick our neck out. Whether you're with your mates down the pub or at work with your colleagues, whether you're standing for an ethical issue at work or or just speaking against political correctness with your friends, it will be tough to, to stand out against the crowd. Well, today reminds us of that as we think of the 200th anniversary of the abolition of slavery, of the slave trade, the transatlantic slave trade anyway. Uh, and uh, we think of people like Wilberforce, if you've read anything uh, on him, uh, he at great personal cost, stood up uh, for these things. He was uh, tirelessly um, uh, uh, appealing against this dreadful thing for years, and it cost him. It is hard to stand up and be counted, uh, but to mingle with the crowd is ultimately hugely costly too, and we'll see that here this morning. So as we look at Matthew chapter 27 this morning, we meet in Pontius Pilate a man who was not willing to stand up for the truth because he was influenced by the crowd. Having seen Jesus up before the Sanhedrin in these last weeks, now in chapter 27 and verse 11, Jesus has been handed over to Pontius Pilate, uh, the governor of the Roman Judea province. So we read verse 11. Meanwhile, 
Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. Uh, If you were here a couple of weeks ago, you will at the moment probably be having a sense of deja vu, or you should at least, because we've heard exactly these same words on the lips of Jesus before. Uh, Before it was when he was standing before the high priest. Uh, Look back to chapter 26 and verse 63, the page before, page 997, uh, the, the last verse on that page, virtually the last line, The high priest said to Jesus, verse 63, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And over the page, Jesus replied, yes, it is as you say. See, exactly the same words Jesus said as he stood before Pilate. Yes, it is as you say. But remember how Jesus continued as he stood before Caiaphas, verse 64. Yes, it's as you say, Jesus replied, but I say to all of you, in the future you'll see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Yes, it's as you say, I am the Christ, I am the Messiah. Yes, it's as you say, but it's not as you realise. I am so much more than you realise. Jesus said, I am the Son of Man. And Caiaphas knew exactly what that meant, verse 65. The high priest tore his clothes and he said, he's spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you've heard the blasphemy. What do you think? See, Caiaphas was outraged because Caiaphas knew that in calling himself the Son of Man, Jesus was claiming to be none other than God himself. This was a claim to be divine. Uh, Keep your finger in Matthew 26. We're going to come straight back there uh, in a moment. But uh, turn with me, if you will, to Daniel chapter 7 to see why Caiaphas was so incensed. Uh, It's page 892 in the Church Bibles. Uh, Daniel chapter 7. And you'll see why Caiaphas knew that this was a claim to be none other than God himself. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. Daniel writes, in my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like, do you see the phrase, a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, that is God the Father, and was led into his presence. And this son of man was given authority, glory and sovereign power. And then this is amazing, all peoples, nations and men of every language worshipped him. Here is the Son of Man in the presence of the Ancient of Days, the Father, the the Lord Almighty, and yet the Son of Man is worshipped by all nations. And only God can be worshipped in the Bible. And yet the Father is allowing the Son of Man to be worshipped in his presence by all nations. And then we read at the end of verse 14, His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Now you see, here is the Son of Man, the end time ruler. We discover that he is given total authority and power over all people. His kingdom is invincible and unstoppable. And yes, all nations worship him. He is none other than God himself. And so as we turn back to Matthew's Gospel, and we see Jesus claiming to be the Son of Man, sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven, Caiaphas knew that Jesus was claiming to be the Lord God Almighty, which is why he tore his clothes and shouted, Blasphemy! And that, of course, is the significance of Jesus using the same phrase as he stands before Pilate. 
Verse 11 of chapter 27, Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. Exactly the same phrase that he used uh, before explaining that he was the son of man before Caiaphas. Yes, it is as you say, but it's not as you realise. Yes, I am the king of the Jews, but that's not the whole story. I am the king of the Jews, but I'm not an earthly king. I am the son of man. And if only Pilate or the high priest or the people had realised who Jesus was, they wouldn't have dared treat him the way they did. When I was speaking to a group of people about Jesus a little while back, one said to me, when I meet God, I'll ask him why the world is like it is, why the world is in such a mess, why he hasn't done anything about it. Someone else in the group suddenly got in on the, on the act. Yeah, and I'll ask him why he didn't make himself more obvious. You know, if he really is God, why I can't see him, why, why I can't know him. And you see, the thing about both these people, were they were assuming that when they met God, they would make God explain himself. But as we look at the description of the Son of Man in Daniel chapter 7, we have to say, no you won't. When you come before the Son of Man, we will all bow in awe of him. We will be overwhelmed by his power, his glory, his majesty and his authority. Look, I know what I'm like when I meet someone famous. It doesn't happen very often, but it has happened from time to time. I met Cliff Richards a few years back. Is he famous? Well, he used to be anyway. When I meet a celebrity, when I met Cliff Richard, I could hardly string an intelligent sentence together. It's pathetic, isn't it? I'm a grown man and I can't speak a sensible sentence in front of Cliff Richard, an ageing pop star. Sorry, those of you who are fans of Cliff. When a friend of mine met the Queen, he told me that he felt almost unable to speak, which is quite amazing for a man who's never lost for words. Now, if that's how we are before the famous and royalty, how do you think we will be before the Son of Man? For we will be in the presence of the greatest celebrity in the universe. Standing before Jesus, the Son of Man, we are in the presence of royalty. And we will be dumbstruck in awe of his majesty. That is exactly now, you see, who is before Pilate in this trial. And that makes this situation and the comments in these verses so remarkable. See, look again at verse 11. Jesus stood before the governor. But, of course, now we know who really is the governor. That's the bite of verse 11. Pilate asked, are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it's as you say, Jesus replied, but it's not as you realise. I'm not only the king of the Jews. I'm the king of all creation. But here's the question. Why didn't Pilate or Caiaphas or the crowd recognise who it was before them? Why is it when I'm explaining to my friends about Jesus that they don't recognise really who he is? Well, I think it's because this. Jesus is not only the all-powerful son of man of Daniel chapter 7. He is also the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. And Matthew wants us to see that here as well. Look at verse 12. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Matthew is saying, note the silence. Remember how before Caiaphas and the chief priests at the earlier trial, Jesus didn't say a word. And note that he doesn't say a word here either. Verse 13, then Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony they're bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, 
to the great amazement of the governor. And why is that significant? It tells us that Jesus is not only the Son of Man, but he's also the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. There's no need to turn it up now, but when you get home, look at Isaiah 53, and especially verse 7, where Isaiah writes, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Do you see, we're to see the significance of the silence. It tells us who Jesus is. But it baffled Pilate. End of verse 14, Jesus' silence amazed him. See, in the past, whenever Pilate had had men standing before him on trial, they'd vehemently plead their case, claim their innocence, beg for mercy, but not Jesus. Pilate couldn't understand it. But we can. Because we know he's the suffering servant, the one who Isaiah said would be pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, the innocent one who would take upon himself the sin of the world. And Matthew wants us to remember that as we read on. So that we're not tempted to dismiss Jesus as an easy touch, but we're to see that as Jesus goes to the cross willingly, he is going there willingly. He's going there because he is the suffering servant. We could easily look at these verses and think, oh, Jesus isn't really the son of man, is he? Because he's being, uh, he's being pushed around by people. Matthew says, oh no, don't be fooled. Jesus is not an easy touch. He is the almighty son of man. The only reason he acts as he does is because he's also the suffering servant who's going to die for our sin. See, Jesus went to the cross not because he was a weak loser, but because that was exactly where he wanted to go. And so we see that this is not weakness. And we'll see that then to reject him would be very, very costly, just as as Pilate does. You see, Pilate is a fascinating character. He's the sort of man who would happily sit here in the congregation with us. Unlike the Jewish leaders that we've seen earlier, they, they wouldn't be seen dead in a place like this. They hated Jesus. They hated Christians. But Pilate would happily sit here. He's not out to get Jesus, it seems. But as we go through, please don't think that he's any less guilty of rejecting Jesus than anyone else in the story. Firstly, because, uh, as we'll see, Pilate knew Jesus was innocent. Verse 15. Now, it was the governor's custom at the feast to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So the crowd, uh, when the crowd had gathered... Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ? For he knew it was out of envy that they had handed Jesus over to him. Verse 18 is remarkable, isn't it? Pilate knew there was no real reason for Jesus to be on trial. Yet Pilate asked the crowd to make a decision on who should be released, innocent Jesus or the notorious Barabbas. And the next verse tells us why that was such a pathetic thing to do. Verse 19, Pilate was sitting on the the judge's seat. Pilate's the governor. And again in verse 19, Pilate's wife confirmed that Jesus was innocent. So why won't Pilate release Jesus? Because he's a weak man. He's a man who won't take responsibility. He's a man who won't stand up to the religious establishment a man who desperately wanted to please the crowd 
a man who in a crisis would take off his uniform and mingle with the crowd. See, when it comes to deciding about Jesus, Pilate wanted to pass the buck. didn't want to take responsibility. I, I meet people like that all the time. Maybe you have too. Maybe you are a bit like that. I think of a man I used to meet with each week to talk about Christianity. As the weeks went by, he told me that he was becoming convinced that Jesus was more than a good man or, or a good moral teacher or a prophet or a religious leader. He came to the point over the weeks where he was ready to say that Jesus was none other than God himself. And he told me that he had no good reason to reject Jesus Christ and he'd leave our meeting convinced he should become a Christian. By the following week, when we meet again, he'd be back wanting to be convinced again of the same things that he was convinced of last time. And when this kept happening, I asked him what, what, what happened from, from one week to another. And he said, oh, well, during the week I speak to my mates and they say that I shouldn't be a Christian. And I said to him, and do, you have any, do they have any good reasons why you shouldn't become a Christian? No, he said, but there's a lot of them and I'd feel uncomfortable around them if I was a Christian. You see, that's Pilate. He knows Jesus is innocent. But there's the crowd and he wants to please the crowd. Well, there may well be someone like that here today, someone who wants to please their mates. Someone who, who, when it comes to Jesus Christ, can't make a decision for themselves. Well, Pilate knew Jesus was innocent. Secondly, Pilate was warned not to mess with Jesus. Look again at verse 19. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him with this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. See, Pilate's wife said to Pilate, she's a very wise woman, she said, don't mess with Jesus. See, you and I, the readers, as we're reading, we know how powerful Jesus is. He is the Son of Man. It might not look like it because, of course, he is also the suffering servant, but don't be fooled, he is the Son of Man. And one day, everyone's going to bow before him. Which, of course, is the huge irony of verse 19. Pilate's on the judgment seat when Matthew has already shown us that Jesus is the end-time ruler and judge. Yet here, in Jesus Christ's world, men and women sit in judgment over him. Isn't that remarkable? It's remarkable and it's also very dangerous. Don't mess with Jesus. See, be under no illusions here. Whatever it looks like, it is not Jesus Christ in the dock. As we sit in the judgment seat... We're the ones who are on trial. The decision we make about Jesus Christ does not change the destiny of Jesus Christ. He is the Son of Man. He is the end-time ruler and judge. Nothing we decide will change that. Now actually, as we sit in the judgment seat making judgment on Jesus, we are in fact making a decision about our own eternal destiny. To reject the Son of Man is to one day be judged by him. To accept him is to be accepted by him. To reject the suffering Messiah is to reject the one, the only one, who can rescue us. See, when we stand in judgment over Jesus, when we sit in the judge's seat, we're the ones on trial. That's the irony of verse 19. Pilate's on the judgment seat, and Pilate knows enough to make the right decision, but he's too weak. He's swayed by the crowd and the popular thinking of the day, 
And so he makes no decision at all. Pilate knew Jesus was innocent. Pilate was warned not to mess with Jesus. Thirdly, Pilate can't or maybe won't make a decision about Jesus. Look at verse 20. The chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called Christ? Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. You see again, Pilate wanted to pass the buck. He knows the facts. We've seen it again and again. He knows Jesus is innocent. He's the governor. He's sitting on the judgment seat. But he won't do the right thing by Jesus. And so he went to the crowd. The crowd that wanted Barabbas instead of Jesus. The crowd that opted for a notorious criminal rather than the judge and saviour of the whole world. But please can we note that crowd rule is very dangerous. Go with the crowd in Britain today and you'll go with people who don't want Jesus. Wilberforce wouldn't go with the crowd. Just watch what the crowd puts on the television and you'll see that the crowd don't want you to follow Jesus. Whenever there's a documentary about, the BBC, uh, about Jesus on the BBC, and there's sure to be some more as we head into Easter, there usually are most Easter's, I've not seen any programming for the next few weeks, but I imagine there will be. You know how the documentaries go, don't you? The BBC tries to persuade us that Jesus is not divine or that the Bible's not historical or or whatever it is. Uh, You'll know it from your own experience. Go into the crowd and the crowd will not encourage you to follow Jesus. And so as Pilate wants to merge with the crowd, he's rejecting Jesus, isn't he? Pilate knew Jesus was innocent. Pilate was warned not to mess with Jesus. Pilate can't or or won't make a decision about Jesus. And uh, finally, Pilate wanted to stay neutral. See, as the crowd shouted, crucify him, Pilate asked, verse 23, why, what crime has he committed? But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Again, as I read these verses, I have to ask, Why on earth did he consult the crowd? Pilate knew he was innocent. Well, he did consult the crowd and verse 27, they shouted all the louder, crucify him. And so, verse 24, when Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I'm innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. See, rather than rule in favour of Jesus, Pilate wanted to, to wash his hands of the whole affair. And in wanting to stay neutral, Pilate's words condemn him. Look again at those words in verse 24. I am innocent of this man's blood. It is your responsibility. Once again, a moment of deja vu. If you were here last week, do you remember who who said exactly those words? Look back to verse 4 of chapter 27. Judas said to the chief priests, verse 4, I've sinned, I've betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us? They replied, that's your responsibility. The same words. And when we read those words last week, we knew that the chief priests were guilty. They were guilty of rejecting Jesus. And so as we hear the same words from the lips of Pilate, we know that he too is guilty. See, passing the buck over Jesus leaves you as guilty as the person who's vehemently against him. So we've got the chief priest last week desperately trying to murder Jesus at any cost, 
We've got Pilate here who seems to be quite laissez-faire about the whole thing. And as we see them use the same words, Matthew says, yeah, they're both guilty. They're both guilty. Let's be sure we realise that no decision over Jesus is a decision. But Jesus said it himself, didn't he? If you're not for me, you're against me. No judgment is a judgment. Now look, I don't know where you are with Jesus this morning, but, but please don't be like Pilate. Please don't think that you can remain neutral. Oh, you may have loads of questions. That's fine. You might still be investigating things. But don't think that in some way you can wash your hands and walk away and say, well, of course, you know, I'm just going to stay neutral on these things. Someone said to me not so long ago, I'm very positive about Christianity. I think the church does a lot of good work. It's just it's not for me. And the first part of his his sentence sounds great, doesn't it? But he's actually saying, no, 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 I'm just washing my hands, but I'm not going to look into that. Sadly, we all have friends who are charmingly neutral. But please, if I can say this gently, apathy and polite indifference will be no good when we are dragged out of the crowd to stand before the almighty Son of Man. And you see at every point, Pilate is guilty. He tried to stay neutral, but he's guilty. He's guilty because he's a spineless man. He's a pathetic weakling who won't stand against the crowd. You see, the truth is you do have to be strong to stand for Jesus. No doubt we've all heard the disparaging comment that Christianity is a crutch for those who can't cope. Well, I want to say wonderfully, Jesus is for those who can't cope with life. Of course he is. Again, that's why Wilberforce fought so hard as he did, because he knew that, that if no one else is going to stand up for these slaves, then he was. And, and Christianity should. The world won't. So yes, Jesus is ready to embrace any. And often it is only when we're at rock bottom that we'll acknowledge that we need him. So yeah, he is for those who can't cope with life. But that's not the story for everyone who becomes a Christian. That's not the story for many of us here. It certainly isn't the story for me. I became a Christian and maybe you did too because you knew it was true. Because you looked into the evidence. Not because you need a crutch to lean on. And the real truth is that following Jesus is not an easy option at all. Jesus himself said it. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Take up your cross, be ready to die for me. Someone said to me ten days ago, if I follow Jesus, I'll have to change the way I do business, won't I? I said, yeah, you will. Following Jesus is tough. It means real sacrifice. It means going against the crowd. It means standing up for things that are not popular. And that's what Pilate wasn't prepared to do. See, to have gone against the crowd for Pilate would have been very costly indeed. Much easier to take off your uniform and merge with the crowd, isn't it? But as we close, let me tell you that to do that is very dangerous. It might seem like the easy option, but it is very, very dangerous. Especially when we see what the crowds say. Look at verse 25. All the people answered, let his blood be on us and our children. Do you see what the crowd are saying there? Those are remarkable words. The crowd say, we will accept the guilt for Jesus' death on us. I don't think they can really know what they're saying, surely. And of course there's remarkable paradox here, as the suffering servant Jesus is dying to take the guilt from the crowd. 
dying in our place that we may not be guilty. They are rejecting him and saying, no, no, we'll take the guilt on ourselves. Now please see what going with the crowd means. It means taking the guilt for rejecting Jesus. And that really is asking for trouble. The eternal trouble of judgment because to meet the Son of Man and having rejected him will be terrible time. Merge with the crowd and that's what we'll get. But turn to the suffering servant and we'll know the forgiveness that can come from him alone. What do you make of him? Do you see him as the son of man and the suffering servant? And have you turned to him? Or are you going to merge with the crowd and ignore him? Well, let's pray together.